to the Sharp 600 brought to you by Covers.com. Give us 600 seconds and we'll give you the tools you need to improve your handicapping. A very special edition of the podcast today, everybody, as we hit episode 50 and have yet to be canceled. I'm not even sure if anyone out there could cancel us, but regardless, we have yet to be canceled. So if you'll indulge me a pat on the back at the moment, I would appreciate it. All jokes aside, thank you so much for continuing to support this project. Later this week, we're going to have our college football episode, and we're going to focus solely on conference championship weekend. We're going to close the week out with our NFL extravaganza as usual. But today, I want to focus on our handicapping and how we can both educate and improve, specifically as it pertains to the world of bankroll management. Isolating winners is only half the battle when it comes to sports betting. Bankroll management is the other half. How much of your bankroll should you bet per game? What's the most you should ever be willing to bet? And what exactly is the infamous Kelly Criterion? Those are just a few of the questions we're going to pose to Joe Pita, who's one of the best baseball handicappers in the business. He actually came on this podcast back in episode 26, right before the MLB postseason began. And he called the Astros to win the World Series over the Dodgers. Nobody's better than Joe. As a former trader who worked on Wall Street, Joe knows bankroll management as well as anybody in the business. He even talks about it in his book, Trading Bases, which makes for a terrific holiday gift for any degenerate sports better in your family. So rather than waste any more of our 600 seconds on me ranting, He is one of the sharpest baseball minds on the planet and author of the book, Trading Bases. You can follow him on Twitter at MagicRatSF. Joe Pita joins us here on the Sharp 600. Joe, as always, thank you for your time. How was your holiday? Uh, It was all good. I I stayed local, Joe, but uh, so we hosted, but uh, just a great, great uh, weekend of food and TV sports, and you can't beat that. It's great to have the family in, and then it's also just as great to get them out the door every now and again. Am I right? (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Today's topic of conversation is bankroll management. I actually reached out to a friend of ours, Gil Alexander, and I was going to bring him on the pod, and he said, you know what? You wouldn't be doing the podcast any justice if you didn't bring Joe Pita on to talk bankroll management, one of the best in the business. So you already have Gil's endorsement. I want to jump right into it with this question. Biggest mistake amateur sports bettors make when it comes to their bankroll management, in your opinion? Yeah, probably too much uh, variation in terms of uh, the amounts they bet. Uh, And it's not that they should be level betting because it's empirically um, airtight to say that you should put more on a bet when you have a bigger edge. But I think the thing that amateurs do wrong is they either just they get a feel for what that edge is without actually trying to calculate it, um, or their estimate for their edge uh, from one bet to the other is way too big, way, way too much difference, uh, and therefore causes them to you know, have poor uh, betting allocations to each one of their bets. When you worked on Wall Street, what principles did you take from that time and apply to the sports betting world? Yeah, I, I love that question, Joe, and this will really get into, uh, I'm sure, another topic you're going to bring up, which is Kelly Criterion and the way some professional gamblers use their bankroll. And what I found, the nice thing about Wall Street, and, and this really applies to if you are professionally trying to manage your money. So let's distinguish between something we all do, which is often 
you know, bet for entertainment, right? I don't think I have an edge when I'm betting other sports than baseball. I do it for entertainment, and it's fun, and it's no different than if I'm spending money on video games or in the movie theater or in a restaurant. Um, and I don't kid myself to think that I have an edge. But if you really do have an edge, you really need to have a money management system that optimizes it. And Wall Street can really teach you that because, you know, we have the quote-unquote sort of, uh, you know, we have the replacement player security in sort of the S&P 500, right? That's a passive investment that is accessible to anyone, and it has virtually zero cost. And we know what, you know, the daily variation is, um, what the monthly is, what the yearly. And if you go and look at your bets and you don't have a return that is commiserate to the risk you're taking, um, and of course now you can look at the S&P 500 to say this is the benchmark. Um, if your returns and your risk aren't lining up, uh, you don't have a really a viable fund um, or you're not really – viably professionally managing money. And, and that's one of the great things that, you know, the financial industry can teach you. You mentioned the Kelly criterion in layman's terms. Can you help explain this? And do you follow this betting principle as well? Sure. Let's use the, the in layman's terms. Uh, layman's terms sort of goes back to what I said earlier in that, and it is empirically airtight uh, to say that if you have a bigger edge, you should bet more. Uh, the Kelly criterion was is, had actually was invented um, by an engineer at Bell Labs when they were trying to decide how much money should Ma Bell allocate to a new division. Uh, and it's and it was then adopted, I think, most famously by professional blackjack players. Uh, and what it essentially says is, when you have a bigger edge, you put more money down, you risk more money. And like I say, that's empirically airtight. For gamblers, uh, it can present a lot of problems because it is super aggressive. Um, the real point of the Kelly is to maximize expected return, but it does not take into account the chance of ruin. It does not minimize your chance of ruin. Um, so most gamblers find that, and, and really this should be true of anyone, don't ever let your bet today imperil your ability to take advantage of your edge tomorrow or next month. Uh, so most gamblers use what's known as modified Kelly, uh, where they certainly cut down uh, the amount of suggested bet that Kelly makes uh, they are they are lowering their expected return, but they are vastly increasing uh, the chance that they won't go bankrupt. Okay, let's talk specific percentages. If I walk into football season and I say, I've got exactly $1,000 as my bankroll, no more, no less. I'm starting with 1000 bucks. What should be the standard size bet I make? What's the average wager? So if I don't feel like I have a specific edge, if I feel like I'm just, you know, I'm on the right side, what should that bet percentage be? Well, Joe, if you're there for a weekend, if you're going down for a weekend, let's say you're probably going to bet uh, 10 games, um, you know, maybe over the course of the weekend. Because to answer that question, you need to know how many bets you're going to make. Of course. Uh, so if you're there for a weekend and you're going to bet 10 games, well, you're not going to go 0 and 10, right? Um, so you can bet more than $100. Joe, let me stop you right there. I have, in fact, gone 0 and 10 before. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who you think you're talking to. <laughs> nice. 
<laughs> so on the assumption that most people won't go 0 and 10, you know, you could probably bet something like 175, 200 dollars a game and figure that the 1,000 dollars is going to last for your weekend. Now, if you are betting, let's say a season of baseball, you're let's say you're investing with someone who's going to be sending you plays every day over the course of a you know 2,430 game season. Well, that, of that thousand dollars, you probably never should be betting more than two percent on one game. Two percent. That would so that would be your max bet. So you're probably talking one one and a half percent, maybe is your average size. But if you find that you have, you know, we always hear about the ten stars, the locks. If this just happens to be a game where you have the biggest edge possible, you're talking about two percent, maybe on a thousand dollars. Yeah, that is that is if you are betting a lot of games over the course of the year. If you are. Joe, if you're the kind of guy who's like, hey, I'm only going to bet the five best games I see all year, you'd obviously bring that percentage up. Uh, but that's sort of, the, you know, exactly. This is, it's the same type philosophy um, that, that, that you do. So, yes, when people tell me in general that they're going to bet 10% of their bankroll on a game because a 10 star is coming out, I kind of know they're, they're exercising poor capital management. <laughs> you don't say. Um, in blackjack, you always hear this theory that if you're running hot at the tables and you're in Las Vegas, you should start to double and triple your wagers. People talk about negative progressive betting, positive progressive betting. In sports wagering, say you're coming off a huge weekend. Say you went 8-1 and one and you're feeling it. Do you ever use that information to increase your bet size, or do you realize the next game has just as much chance of hitting as the previous games and you shouldn't bet more? More money based on what already happened. Yeah, the, the the latter there, although the former applies a little bit, because if you did just go eight and one, your bankroll should be higher, right? So if you had ten thousand dollars the week before and you just went eight and one, well maybe you have twelve thousand dollars now. And if your bet was gonna be, you know, five percent of, of ten thousand, now it's five percent of twelve thousand. So the next week's bets do get bigger in terms of of uh, absolute dollars, but not in terms of percent, because you're right. There should be nothing about, you know, there's, there's nothing about being hot the weekend before that, that should uh, affect this weekend. When you're betting baseball and you see a team maybe 220 minus 240, you know, we saw that a lot with the Dodgers last year. Is there ever a price that's considered too high for you? I've heard from some guys before that they've ne- they would never go above a favorite that's minus 150. Do you have any sort of criteria that sets a cap on something like that? You know, I, I would vehemently disagree with, with anybody who told me that there's no value in betting something over minus 150. Um, in general, Joe, I would say that no matter what the baseball matchup, uh, it's almost impossible for any team to be bigger than a 75% favorite in a baseball game. Um, and, you know, and, and we can sort of empirically prove that. We can go to the, the Mariners in 2001. You can go to the Yankees in 1998, and you can look at their record against the three worst teams in the league, and it's really hard to play higher than 75% baseball um, on any given game. So even Kershaw versus you know, the Padres should probably never be higher than maybe I should have said the Giants this year. Yeah. Uh, should should probably never be higher than minus three hundred, three ten, something like that. So that is sort of the upper limit uh, of what a what a line can be. However, the it's it's absolutely silly to say that I'm going to dismiss any lines that are greater than minus 150 because an edge is an edge. If there's a 4% edge on a minus 130 game or a 4% edge on a minus 230 game, it's, you're still trying to monetize that edge. 
Great point. If you were sitting down to dinner with an amateur sports better and you could only give him one piece of information regarding bankroll management, what would that piece of information be? I would tell him to look at his past. If I told him to, well, the piece of information would be keep great records. Archive every bet you've made, especially if you have tried to uh, quantify your edge because that will allow you to look back and therefore get smarter looking forward. You can follow him on Twitter at MagicRatSF. He's one of the smartest baseball minds around. And he's the author of the book Trading Bases, which makes for a terrific holiday gift. Joe Pita joining us here on the Sharp 600. Joe, the insight, as always, was tremendous. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great holiday season, and hopefully we can do it again soon. Always a pleasure, Joe. Thanks for having me. How about that ride in? I guess that's why they call it Sin City. <laughs> Two and one on Thanksgiving with winners on the Vikings and Chargers, losers on the Washington New York over, which means we're now sitting nine and three against the spread over our last 12 Thursday selections. Time to go to work. Episode 50, Thursday night football, Dallas minus one and a half with a total of 44, hosting the Washington Redskins. Since the Ezekiel Elliott suspension finally kicked in, the Cowboys have scored seven points, nine points, and six points, respectively, over their last three outings, while averaging a paltry 235 total yards per game with a shockingly horrific minus seven turnover differential. Think about that. That's a minus seven turnover differential through just three games. Needless to say, the Cowboys and head coach Jason Garrett are in big, big trouble. As for the Redskins, Washington's 12-4 against the spread over their last 16 road dates, 15-7 against the spread over their last 22 games against the Cowboys, and 9-1 against the number over their last 10 games in Dallas. Needless to say, I'll side with Kirk Cousins and the Redskins in this spot. Give me Washington plus the point and a half. Episode 50 in the books. Thank you, everybody, for your time. For your support, we greatly appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. We're back later in the week with both the college football and NFL podcast. But until then, be well and best of luck.